welcome to another episode of the Blank Project Podcast, where we fill in the blank with whatever we want, whatever you need, wherever you are. No judgment or expectations. I am your host, Aspen, a.k.a. A.G., because it makes me feel like I was a cool kid. Um, I'm so excited for today's episode. A person who knows a change needs to happen and actually works towards that change is the most powerful person in the world, in my opinion. From believing she wanted to be a pediatrician because that was the only way she knew to help others to getting kicked out of her program junior year, Kritisha's journey to counseling has been the dictionary example of change and adaptability. After receiving her bachelor's in family, youth, and community sciences and a master's in education in marriage and family counseling from the University of Tennessee, uh, whoa, the University of Florida girl, she decided to move to Iowa. Yeah, that's right. She moved to Iowa on purpose. But listen, it was fine. Quickly, she realized that that was not the move and she had this overwhelming desire to be closer to her nieces and nephews. <laughs> A desire I deeply understand. Um, she knew it was time to make some shake, so she packed it up and moved to the home of Arrested Development. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Tennessee. Her move has challenged her faith, perseverance, and relationships in all forms. She currently is a care coordinator while also working on her PhD in the counselor education program at the University of Tennessee and Knoxville Go Balls, and is using that space to reimagine what a career in academics could look like for you, for me, for her, for all the folk. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about with an X. Don't get it twisted. Uh, sit back, relax, and join me in welcoming Kritisha to The Blank Project. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And also really <laughs> nervous, but well, mostly excited. I mean, we're here and it's a transparent space and usually people are always nervous or usually people are nervous and I am always nervous and I have to be recording constantly other people. So at least you only get to be nervous once. <laughs> That's fair. That is a fair point. There's going to be another episode where I was like, mm. <laughs> keep a trash can close by and mute ready just in case I knew a dude, a quick, you know, just in case I get too nervous. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah read a little about 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 your bio I've had the privilege of learning more about um how you came to be who you are and um in just even in your career space and so I would like to start off I guess with a difficult question but I think it's really cool and the question is simple what's one piece of advice that you'd share with your younger self or um, yourself before you entered into this particular academic journey? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually think the advice works for both of those situations. And that would be to embrace the change that is inevitable. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of my life, a little bit still now, but more so in the past, I spent a lot of it avoiding change or trying to plan out or prepare for any worst case scenario as a way to avoid, you know, challenge and difficulty and things not going right. And while I just believe everything is going to work out how it needs to work out, I think I could have not been as stressed in the process <laughs> if I would have just embraced, like, change is the one constant in life, like, just go ahead and roll with it. Um, 
that got a little easier as a lot of the different curveballs I think you said in the intro a lot of the curveballs came up but um that's my like one piece of advice for sure and I wanted to make sure that I talked about change and adaptability in your introduction not because it's like oh this is the most amazing blah 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 yada 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 but your transparency with the way that you changed and how you've come into adaptability, I feel like is more encouraging and inspiring versus stories that we normally hear, which is, okay, I did all these changes. I made this, I made these, these opportunities were put in place to where I had to become adaptable, but this Mm -hmm. happened 10 years ago, right? And so you're seeing all the fruits of their labor and it's a lot more glitter and you're not really paying Mm -hmm. full attention to the fact that like there are lessons here and they've forgotten because there's been such a huge gap of time. And sometimes there's like this separation between the two. And I'm like, "Mm, this is no longer really relatable to me. And you Mm -hmm. have um, a relatability that I think is very beautiful. And I just want to make sure you know that. Thanks, friend. Thanks. That really, that actually like really means a lot to me because to be transparent during changes is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to have the glitter and gold and everything is coming together. And as someone who really values uh, the image of being put together at all times, <laughs> um, it's really hard when that's not the truth. Like. N- most of the time I'm really struggling with the change, even when I know it's a good one, or even when I know um, because of history that this will also work out. Um, And so to start being more vulnerable um, of how I'm feeling in the moment and how things are going on like currently is something that I'm newly working on. So I really appreciate you saying that. No problem. You uh, are currently, or you have, you're currently pursuing a PhD that's centered around counseling. You have prior education that still, that was centered around counseling, um, career counseling in your like actual career, like your, it's on your resume, like these things are here. Yeah. Um, how did you kind of make the decision to go into counseling? You know, is it, the motivation, the motivation to help people, like when you thought you wanted to become a pediatrician, or is it something a little different? So to me, if you would have asked me this when I first went to grad school, I probably would have said, oh, you know, I've came to counseling by accident. Mm-hmm. But in reality, like as I think about little baby Kurtisha and just even how I am now and the ways that I interact with people, it doesn't, I like don't understand how I thought any other career would make sense than counseling, right? Like, yes. And people who meet me, my family, they're like, yeah, this really fits you. Like, I'm not sure why you didn't know that sooner than now. But, you know, it's fine. We, we live, we learn. Um, I, so I grew up always wanted to be a doctor. You know, there were three careers that you knew about Mm -hmm. teacher, lawyer, doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to come from a family of educators. Everyone is in K-12 or higher ed, um, various subjects. So like education has always been, um, 
like a part of my foundation. So I knew that that was going to happen. But in my head, I was like, I'm not about to be a teacher. That's not going to be the move. I'm not graying papers all day and night. I'm not dealing with bad behind kids. Can't do it. So I was like, oh, I like science. I'm good at it. Um, And I quote unquote, want to help people. So doctor, obviously. And then I was good with kids. So I was like, oh, pediatrician, this makes sense. Um, And I learned very quickly when starting college that I don't like blood. I don't like seeing people physically in pain. Um, Like like it's really hard for me. Like if you broke your arm, I'd be like, my arm is also broken. Like I can feel it. So I don't know why I thought I was gonna go into the medical field, but I was dead set. And looking back, I knew early on, like I knew well before junior year, well before um, I like finished a lot of my core classes and didn't get a high enough GPA. And so I got kicked out of my major. Like I knew it, but I had said it for so long that I was like, I have to do this like by any means necessary and not slowing down and thinking about what is the ultimate goal? Like it isn't, for me, it wasn't become a doctor. It was like, I truly want to impact people, impact the world around me. I want people to be able to live and just like enjoy life in a way that if you're dealing with trauma and stress and all these other pieces, like it's not as easy to do that. And so there's some career counseling of my own and just honestly taking a step back and thinking about what am I really trying to do? That's when I put the pieces together for counseling. I had randomly had like, so I was a chemistry major and I randomly had a mentor in a STEM mentoring program who was a marriage and family therapist. To this day, I have no idea (laughs) how or why that was even a thing, but it never clued in like, yes, she's mentoring you in the STEM program, but like, she's a counselor. Maybe you should like talk to her about what she does. Um, And so that was where I got introduced to marriage and family and then my school had a program. So I said, let's do it. Let's be a counselor. I'm like, not knowing that that was going to involve a lot more than I initially thought. (laughs) I think it's very interesting what you said about, um, you had talked about being a pediatrician for so long and you felt like you have to stand by that. Is the reason why Mm -hmm. you stood by that it's because you're stubborn, um, were there any particular Mm -hmm. emotions that were centered around you or in bullying you provoking you encouraging you to continue that path even though Mm -hmm. there were clear signs that were saying stop turn around yeah a lot of inadvertent bullying primarily on my part but it had become a part of my identity it was how I I was Kirtisha the future doctor um the future pediatrician and I didn't even realize how much that had I married those things, like who I am and what I was pursuing as a career. I need, I, I needed to wrestle with that, but it was a lot of hardship that I could have done without. And I just, I don't know it. Yeah. It was a lot of me 
being like, this is who you said you're going to be. And like, don't change that. It's also prestigious. Like, I'm not even, I'm not going to front. Like, being a doctor, it's like, oh. It's like, so cool. You Can you respect, think, like, yeah. go to the family reunion, everybody's having these. Yes. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm doctor, right? Please, everything, mm-hmm. everything, every birthday cake has to say happy birthday doctor like that's it exactly nothing else I have friends that actually all the email signatures every email signature I just have a master's and I all of my email signatures my my side business my Mm -hmm. educational email all of it it's all says MS I have friends who changed my name in their phone book to be comma <laughs> ms because i was like yes. refer to me as such this is this is not a game like this is not dress yeah. rehearsal this is the real show so i can imagine how somebody would feel being like i'd be handling kids i'd be helping them i'd be in the hospital getting mm-hmm. my gray's anatomy on y'all don't know nothing about this exactly and you know my family they they're a big part of why I pursue all the education that I have pursued my whole life like like I said they're all teachers it's like it was a thing everyone really valued advanced education and so it wasn't a question of if I was going on to more school it was like when and what are you going to do um and so I was very fortunate to have a mom who paved that way like in a pretty non-traditional fashion she did her master's while we were growing up I think it took her you know part-time she worked on it for 10 years and then she got her PhD in a very similar fashion we had like left for school it was a little bit easier to spend some more time um, with classes and so she got her PhD so I was like oh bet like I can't not be a doctor and my mom is a doctor like (laughs) we we gotta do better you know so it was really hard to let that go, even with all of the messaging from within, like, this is not for you and not because you couldn't do it. Like your girl knows organic chemistry. Like I'm not going to play with y'all. Like I knew the stuff. I didn't have the motivation. I didn't have the desire. And that's, I really believe that's because I knew like, this wasn't what I wanted to do. This wasn't the direction I needed to take. Okay. Wow, that's really beautiful. Um, so you are in a PhD program now, and during your process, you took a break from school and then came back. Um, how were you able to make that decision, especially because before you were like, I'm going to be a pediatrician, this is what I'm going to mm-hmm. do. And by this time, like if you are in a PhD program, you're like, I'm going to be a counselor. This is what I'm going to do. So how did you make that decision um, to take a break? And do you regret your decision? And what was um, the biggest lesson you learned while you chose to take that break? Or one of the biggest reasons why you chose to take that break? Either or. Yeah. So we got to talk about some in-between time from when I'm like, I'm not going to med school. But I also am not really sure what the next steps look like. And, you know, I, that decision was made for me. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> you get kicked out of your major. They're, they're like, have a There's nice life. Day. Like, um, what else you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And so even with that, there was a couple of weeks where I didn't have a major. And they were like, we don't know what to do with you. It's junior year. No one changes their major that late. Whatever. 
So that became a theme, like a lot of waiting and in between and still really struggling to let go of the idea of being a pediatrician. I would say it took a few years. It took even through my master's program, even when I started working as a career counselor in Iowa, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, but you can still kind of go to med school. Like people go to med school later. It wasn't until I moved to Tennessee and was starting my second position as a career counselor where I noticed that career was a safe medium for people to talk about more struggles or more of their mental health that they were dealing with. And so I was like, wow, this is kind of cool that I could start working with someone for one reason, a seemingly more tangible reason, um, or as people think about it, a more tangible thing to come to counseling for and really use it as a way to help them explore some other things that are going on for them. And so as I was just doing that, I realized, man, I need a little more education behind this. And I also, unfortunately, as it is in most, most fields, you got to have some additional letters behind your name before people really take you seriously. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to rule the world, the counseling field, if you will. Um, so I need to go back to school. Um, I also wanted to teach at a university. I really like college students. So I started my program. And it's in a very um, concise fashion, a concise way to explain this. It was just not an environment that really was supportive um, as a Black woman in the South who was also not trying to do counseling the way that most people do counseling. So it was actually a really hard decision for me to go on a break. Um, I know now that I was struggling with a lot of depression and I had been able to work my way. I wouldn't even say out of it, just like work in spite of the depression, but it was getting to a point where I had been doing that too long and I could not do it anymore. And so My faculty noticed it. I obviously noticed it, but I was like, you just work harder. That's the answer to everything. Um, And black women plight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I don't, why do we, I know why we do it, but. But still, still, why do we we do that? Um, And so I was working full time. I was, I was like in theory, part-time, but like you can't do a counseling program part-time. So I was a full-time student, full-time employee. Mm -hmm. And there were some situations that happened with my cohort specifically that kind of were the last straw. And so I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I'm not sure if that means forever or if that means right now. And so the best option I had was to take a break the idea was to just give myself space to breathe, take care of my mental health, but also really think about why are you doing this in the first place? Because a lot of noise made me forget why I even started in the first place. So I actually, I just answered mm. that question. I don't even know if I cover all the bases, but that's the gist. <laughs> no, you did. I, it was done beautifully. <laughs> it all flowed into it. So just, you know, a nice little counselor vibe. Um, cause you're going to do great things. Um, hmm. 
What are some things that stick out to you about pursuing a career in counseling, whether it is um, that it's how challenging it is for you to do or um, how you interact with others? Uh, I know you talked a little bit about like sometimes you were in a space where y'all mm -hmm. weren't meshing. And so um, what are some things that stick out to you about your personal experience um, pursuing a career in counseling? The main thing or kind of the first piece of it is like be prepared to do your own work. Um, I heard that and so much in my master's program, I definitely hear it now in the doctoral program. You cannot have people mm -hmm. sit across from you and have them do things that you aren't willing to do yourself. Um, and so that's very challenging advice, but also I wouldn't have it any other way, knowing like being kind of on the other side of it. So starting early, getting in counseling, and that can be in a variety of ways. There's a number of settings, there's an individual, there's group, there's um, like a lot of like online, like apps that you get any sort of counseling that you can connect with started. Um, because if you don't, like you're going to be in class and it's going to come up. You're going to be all kinds of triggered sitting in yeah. class. Like, why am I boohoo crying around all these people? Hmm. Well, you had to get it some way, somehow. So that's like a big piece is do your own work, like, and continue to do it for sure. Um, does y'all's program make it mandatory to have to go to counseling or anything? Because I know Georgia Southern does. Like, if they're like, you want a job, you want to continue in this program, we need proof you are going to some form of therapy, counseling, whatever it is. Yeah. We need to see the papers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not... Uh illegal to mandate it no it's just highly encouraged it's yeah it's highly encouraged yeah yeah so that's I mean all the programs are going to highly encourage you to do mm -hmm. it um even when it's just funny because you know when someone's not in their own personal counseling it's very obvious <laughs> so so you're like hey have you talked to someone okay. about this have you considered uh hint hint we have free center on campus yeah right there um so it was just highly encouraged um for sure yeah which i appreciate right okay okay um and so at your time as a career counselor you're coming in contact with a lot of college students um mm -hmm. what's one thing that you want all college students to grasp or enjoy about their experience Oh, that you have more time than you think. Like all the students, every single one of them that I've met with or would meet with, there's such urgency to like have a decision and to know exactly what you're doing. And I just, I get it because I was very much the same way, but I just want them to understand like even when you are certain, quote unquote, there's so much flexibility in these decisions in the type of work you do, when you do it, where you do it. And honestly, most people don't really have it figured out. So you got all the time in the world to explore, right. to figure out what you like, what you don't like, to try things, do real crazy stuff, to just 
give herself a chance to develop in that area and really fine tune what you want to put your energy into. I definitely agree because my experience um, with my, my experience getting my bachelor's and my experience getting my master's are they were such such huge differences number Mm -hmm. one yes both of the institutions were pwis however one was private in texas and the other one was public and it was in tennessee um where in both schools had a really strong sense of like sport community so on and so forth blase blase and even though um Baylor has a very, very, very small percentage of people of color, number one. And then the majority of that percentage Mm -hmm. are athletes. Um, Mm -hmm. The way that um, the minority community comes together that I experienced there was not anything like what I experienced when I was in Tennessee. And this could be because I was a graduate student, right? I may have missed out on these things. And I'm like, yo, y'all got a whole building to yourselves. We only have an office, you know, at Baylor, blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. But also at the same time, the type of, the type of camaraderie that existed on all levels, I'm talking um, like, bachelor programs master's programs phd programs across Mm -hmm. the street as like the seminary students Mm -hmm. i mean we all knew each other like it to some extent or we ran into each other once or we had beef once upon a time i mean whatever (laughs) the situation was and the running joke is that black baylor would fight with each other but if somebody was coming for Mm -hmm. for black baylor then you have to fight the entire community right let's go and um, even in, we had the, about the same amount of people in each one of my cohorts for my bachelor's and my master's. And there were still a lot of diversity, <laughs> like uh, ethnically um, for my bachelor's program versus my master's. However, mm-hmm. the diversity um, of gender identity, of um, what's the other one? not gender identity, but like the LGBTQ, I, I don't know specific, I, I don't know why that's blanking for me, but there was a very open sense of like, like I'm first generation, English isn't my yeah. first language. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of different forms of diversity that happened within my master's program, which obviously is really beneficial when you're talking about um, sport and you know, you don't, sure. you have no control over what type of athlete you're going to come in contact with. And that was a beautiful opportunity to um, have that experience. But a part of me was like, I really want, like, I want a little bit of the old thing back. And I remember <laughs> there were two, in- there were two instances where I was like, if I go back to school again, I am not going to a public school. Um, one of them was, I think Valentine's day was a weekday. Um, we all know the university of Tennessee is very hilly Yes, uh, it gets very cold from about October to March. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember ever seeing the sun. 
Uh, I was running late because I lived out in uh, Cedar Bluff. I woke up late. Um, it's already driving. cold. It's already, it is mm-hmm. already cold. Boots, hat. Like today. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just cold. cold. And I had to park in like one of the back parking lots. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to cut this way that I typically don't like going, but it's the least amount of heels. And I know if I mm-hmm. cut this way and then I go right, I'm going to hit my building in the smallest amount of time. I'm going yeah. up the stairs, totally fine. I'm walking past, totally fine. And then I slip and fall. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, it's the daggum ice that I slipped and fell on, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. That I stand- that black eyes get you. Right. Here's the problem. It was not black ice. I get up, look down, and it is, yes, ladies and gentlemen, a condom. An open <gasps> condom <laughs> that I, I have <laughs> slipped on <laughs> on this cold day. And I instantly, like, I instantly got up and I was like I missed the shame of people having (laughs) sex like instantly it was just like I hate this what happened to the shame and bashing Uh of sexual freedom (laughs) please like I like and I was already I had already hit my threshold walking into class my teacher you know had had somebody call me she put me on speakerphone I, because, you know, my team, we were very close. I loved my team. She was my advisor. So she had been used to me okay. having candid conversations. Like technically mm-hmm. the conversation or the way that I went about it wasn't abnormal for her. Cause I, I was very okay. big on like, girl, this don't make no sense. And I said this often to her. Mm-hmm. She puts me on speakerphone. I'm walking out of breath because this condom has knocked the breath out of me. I literally yes. fell back on my backpack mm-hmm. on this ground. I'm like, Lord, mm-hmm. please don't let this brand new computer that I bought like not exist anymore because I full waited that is the scariest I'm already scared Mm. I'm already scared already late she puts me on speakerphone me I can't believe this I'm so tired of this blah 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 blah. I just slipped on a condom (laughs) and I'm going off and then I stopped to listen (laughs) and the whole class is trying truly trying to be compassionate but they are also laughing at me. And then I take a step back and yes. I realize how ridiculous I sound having I beef. slipped on a condom. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You said I'm that. like, you said I, I just have to eat it. This is just it's horrible. And I just <laughs> have to eat it. And so there was that one moment. Number two, picture it. Football season. I tailgated a couple of times. I feel like it's very unnecessary because really once you've mm-hmm. gone once, you've gone a thousand times. Um, same yes, thing. It's the same. It truly is. It's a routine. You're doing truly you're is. Doing the you same really thing. only go for the camaraderie. And um, if that, or like, or some super right. friendly person where you can get free food and the drinks, you know, whatever. Honestly, the, the drinks. Obviously, That's really what you're doing. we're not yeah, drinking yeah, yeah. on campus, right? So I went a handful of times and also I worked for the athletic department so like sometimes I wouldn't be going to the games because I was either working I was on the sideline or I was working somewhere else or I was like this is this is pointless I'm just gonna 
go to sleep. I'm going to eat at places I like to eat at. And then I'm going to pull up exactly when the Baylor line runs, you know, depending on who we're playing, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. And then I'll just go on about my life a little, little bit right. early, starting to get caught up in traffic and I'm fine. This particular mm-hmm. day, I decide that I want the real University of Tennessee Knoxville experience. I have I have oh, finessed yes. a job okay. to work in the box, like with the big donors or whatever, so I can get the full. And when I say full experience, that's the kind of experience I want. Box seats, seeing the full. Yes. If I'm doing that's a volunteer game, that's, that's how I'm trying to do it. Slaps. Like, like what? You can see the whole game from your one box in the one corner. I'm like, Neyland Stadium? Yes. yes, I love this. It's loud. Look at these checkered in, like, <laughs> end zones. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I finished the job. So I was going there. And I'm walking closer and closer to the stadium. And I guess this is the time where I realized, wow, I'm really at a public school because I knew that people could drink on campus. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But the smell of regurgitation, yeah, that you yes. literally like. There's one street. Uh, I don't know what it is about the street. It's like this invisible shield that you don't smell it. And then once you've crossed the invisible mm-hmm. shield, it just sound. It like smells like oh. <laughs> and I remember not. Mm-hmm. You're like, why did and I I'm do like, this? Why did I cross I the like, street? That's a really weird smell. Maybe it's because I walked over like this little grated area, like this sewage area. I'm thinking, oh, that's what it is. It didn't even click for me. It didn't even click yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. I walked past this group of people. It is a whopping 9.45 in the morning. Like it is, it is nowhere near 12. Oh yeah, we're, this is the South. This is game day. We're at an SEC school, public breakfast and cocktails. I That's what like, we're doing. Oh my gosh. And I legitimately started booking it like full blown long strides, thinking that if I ran past this one section, that the smell would get better. It progressively got worse. And I was once again I, in my head this time, not out loud, because yeah. there was way too many people around. I was like, I just need a good <laughs> dose of shame. Like, where is, just need to, I need somebody's <laughs> church mother to just shake her finger in the face of these people or something. And those were like too blindingly, like evident, like, oh, I am no longer having those experiences anymore. And I think that, hmm Mm-hmm. when you're choosing a college and I work with kids and they talk about college a lot and they hear about where I went and obviously they want to hear all about it blah 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 yada yada, yada. and I always tell them don't my things that I'm the questions I ask them are practical which is if you never get a scholarship can you and your family afford it I ask that all the time. I yeah. ask that all the time. That is a if real you can't question. Afford it, mm-hmm. Are you putting yourself in a position to where you will be able to get scholarships and grants, so on and so forth? Are you emotionally prepared for the loans that you would have to take out? Are these things important? Like mm-hmm. I come in contact with kids over and over again that want to go to Baylor. 
And I say, okay, that's fine. But there's also, they, a lot of them don't even know it's a private school. So they don't even know that you have to take two right. classes of religion and you have to take, you have to take two semesters of religion and then two semesters of chapel, which you get no actual credit for. <laughs> and you're right. But you're speaking to, it's more than just yes. what you can study in the name of the institution, but really what sort of experience right. are you going to have right. in, in this institution? It is so it's much, much more bigger than, than that. And so then when Much it comes than, to, yeah. you know, a higher level, like you getting your master's or you getting your PhD, a lot of the times you, a lot of times people ask those questions um, when people are getting their bachelor's or whatever. Nobody asks that question when they're right. talking about right. master's or a doctorate because they're simply like, oh, at this mm -hmm. point, you can just be mm -hmm. in whatever educational setting. You can do this and you can do that. But that's not true. Those are still things that you have to consider Granted, mm -hmm. how you socialize would be a little bit different. I may not have socialized a lot on campus, but I socialized a lot in the community. So I was in that. And it's like, are Ooh, you, yes. do you have an idea? And it's okay if you don't, but like, if you move, like, what are the plans that you're going to be put in place for the next six months, the next three months, next four months, the next month and a half, where you may feel a little lonely because now you have to go make friends and you may have moved to a city that mm -hmm. you don't you don't have nobody in so what are you going to do then um which yeah. I didn't think about and was one like one of the biggest things that shocked me until October it really shocked me and you know Aspen you can you can take that a lot of different ways like I would say for sure at the bachelor's level still something to take into consideration like location of the institution, the type of institution, all of that you should take into consideration. But there's more things built into the college experience for bachelor level students that even if your city is terrible, you still probably gonna be all right. Yes. When you move to a master's program, a doctoral program, a professional program, you have less people that you can interact with who would like understand your experience. Mm -hmm. You're usually spending all your time in one building, mm -hmm. one specific department. So having the city or like, you know, the region or area around your institution be somewhere that you want to spend that time, or at least could find someone or a group of people to connect with, that becomes more important. And so you got to decide, am I so in love with my program that my city can still be trash and I'll be all right or do I really need to go somewhere geographically that will support me give me the community that I'm looking for just in case I don't get it in my program and as a person with varying marginalized identities anyone with a marginalized identity prepare that your program just won't be able to support you to the fullest extent that you need it and that's you know, no shade, but shade. No, it's like, not. It, but also, it is very true. <laughs> it's not made for us. It really isn't. Um, I think I do talk about the difference in my programs being that I felt way more supported as a human being in my master's program versus my bachelor's. Mm -hmm. And one of the yeah. things that really stuck out to me was the fact that um, even though, first off, I only applied to one grad school. 
I felt like I had a sign, if you will. I, I, I had a divine <laughs> sign and I was like, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. And before I even filled out my application, I was having a conversation with the professor who was in the program that I was in, I wanted to be in, but also at the same time, okay. wasn't under my discipline. But I knew that he was, hmm. I, I mm-hmm. loved his research and he was black. So I was like, if I know I have at least one person who can advocate for me if I really needed to and he's black and I kind of think of him like as a grandpa as a second dad shout out to Dr. Stephen Waller because he is absolutely amazing I literally during the Mm -hmm. school year experience I would be like I'm so stressed out I can't read any of this education stuff anymore would walk in his office and be like okay what book aren't you reading that I can read pulled something off the shelf he said see you in two weeks I said okay and it was that small thing that was really powerful for me Um, But also at the same time, I was blessed to be um, in the presence of Dr. Leslie Fisher, Dr. Rebecca Zakrajczyk, Dr. Chikos, Chikos, and they um, created a program where it was very clear that, you know, they can't fill in every space, but there was some form of some type of an effort, you know, or they, yeah. or they, things were brought to people's attention and they were like, okay, thanks for bringing that to my attention. Let's regroup here. Um, mm-hmm. It's where, you know, it's, I mean, sad to say, like, I wasn't raised, I, I didn't learn a, a lot about Black scholars, right? So it, yeah. it, it's very, that was very real for me. And then I didn't, like when I was in my bachelor, I wasn't reading a lot of like, I was reading a lot of research, but I mean, it was like injury prevention. It wasn't anything that I could were like, was important enough for me. And so being able to sit in class and being assigned bell hooks right. and being like, you need this to relate it to sport was way more transformative than mm-hmm. anything that ever happened. And I was like, oh, so who what else is there to be? And even in um, our, what is this, the Association of the ASP, right? The Association of Applied Sports Psychology, right? So that is, okay. My, yep. yep, that's what it is. If I'm wrong, it's okay. I pay my dues. It's okay for me to be wrong. <laughs> that's what counts. That's what counts. <laughs> they have my money and that's fine. Um, yeah. But even there, like, it has to be one of the most diverse associations that I have ever seen in real life. Like that's, that's and awesome. I was like, I walked in, I remember my first conference and walking in and being confused because I had never seen as many adult black people at a professional, mm-hmm. in a professional environment mm-hmm. that didn't clearly say it's for black people anyway. Like, yeah. And so, <laughs> right. And like, it's huge it's such a big deal and it was like there were different experiences people were um they had different gender identities they identified Mm -hmm. different um they had their own little vibe with sexuality um they had all different ways that they came into sports psychology they were ranging in careers so it wasn't a bunch of like people in academics but there were people that were like I stumbled onto this I got this business that I'm getting out the mud other people that work under the umbrella of uh, a barrier corporation people from the military um Mm -hmm previous Olympians, all these like these really big monumental women that have and continue to take the world of sport 
um, psychology, sport performance to the next level. And it was mind boggling for me. And even though I had already been in the program, I felt like I was called to be in that program. I had prayed about that program and it was like, this is where you need to be. It wasn't until that experience where I was a little late because I found this taco truck. It's like in Portland, I don't know what's called, but I, we went to this place and we thought that we had enough time to go to this place, get breakfast, but we ordered for three people. And so it was a little bit slower, (laughs) but we had these breakfast sandwiches. Booking it back to the hotel, right? I have a real coat on. It's cold. It's November, October. Mm, okay. And yeah. I was like, dang, I got this whole sandwich. Couldn't find a seat. Somehow, I, we wanted to be close, but not too close. We end up sitting in the third freaking row. I'm, I'm with my mentee. She's like, I don't want to sit directly by those people. I want to sit on outside because I have my food. And I'm looking at her like, girl, I have food Naturally. too. Yeah, mm-hmm. So then I'm like, okay, I'm just take the L like it is what it is. Right. So I'm trying to like casually take my jacket off, but also not drop right. my sandwich. And before I knew it, all I see is this black dainty hand helping me get out of my jacket. And she's like, I got you. I got you. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this black woman has my back. The joke of all jokes is the crew of black women that sat at that table were the same ones that I had named, like the biggest names for people of color. And I ate aggressively that sandwich and I do not regret getting that sandwich, but I just sit there and I was like, I I had, we listened Mm to um, the keynote. Amazing. But then I also was like, (laughs) wow, I'm really being accepted for the fact that I smashed this sandwich and they didn't think anything less of me or thought that I wasn't, you know, whatever the heck they were just like, girl congratulations on your sandwich and then they went back I made a bunch of business cards for my classmates and they were like you made these I was like yeah and they were like oh my gosh this is so amazing and I'm like do you know you are so amazing like do you do you know do you know who you are like do you understand that if I could be in the same city as you I would literally just sit under you like you don't even have to give me a chair I would right. sit you're like wait wait a second desk, wait just to uh, hear the no, no, no. that you would drop and then hold my hands like this so you, they could just fall into my palm. And I just, I, it was such an amazing experience. And that was the thing that kept me motivated to continue to want to be in the mm-hmm. world of sports psych. That, and I had that support mm-hmm. system. They really be doing it for people. Shout Try out your to best. professional associations because it really, it, ex, it exposes you. So yes, you pick right. a graduate program based on the factors we already talked about and you're in this space but when it's not a supportive experience when it's not one where you really see yourself um really feel like you can connect to the work that's being Mm -hmm. done going to these conferences meeting people that you're reading about in the literature that are pillars in your field as a student go to the conference and play up that student card like they want to we as humans, we're so funny. We love talking about ourselves. We love to bestow knowledge on others. Play that up to your advantage. Go to these conferences, sit under these people, get advice, get the connections, like figure out what it is that you want to do in the field. Find the people who look like that and who are doing that type of work and then go hang out with them. That's the best place to do it. And right, most times, I would say a good portion of the time, you're not going to be turned away. If anything, 
you will like reap all the benefits of just putting yourself out there eating your breakfast sandwich on the road or <laughs> row y'all and not being faced and yeah. I, it was so great because my advisor Dr. Fisher she did she also was really big on that she was like okay so if you ask a question are you what's gonna happen if they say no okay well that's not gonna stop like what do you you still got this degree to mm-hmm. get and she was like you need to write down your life I said for what she was like just write it down if it becomes something and it's a book then cool but if it's not then you need to be able to document the things that you're doing because yeah. you're a powerful person and if you weren't a powerful person then I wouldn't have allowed you to be in my program and that kind of stopped me in my tracks too because a lot of the times mm-hmm. we have imposter syndrome when we go into um postgraduate programs or whatever Mm-hmm. but also at the same time like, it's not like undergrad like they like sure maybe a quota but also at the same time they really get to pick and choose who yes. they want in those spaces I think on average for my program it's about 200 upwards of 200 applications a year a year right our cohort was maybe 15 people and they were from mm-hmm. all over. And that's a big cohort. And it was big. And it really was like a mixture because everybody, some people came back, they took some time off and then they came back. So it was kind of one of that situations too. But also at the same time, like it was just, it was just us. And we were, she was like, this right. is the tightest cohort that's ever existed. Like I said, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have friends. I learned everybody's birthday. And then I created a birthday party around it. Everybody's birthday, because I knew it would, First of all, a lot of us were born in the fall. Like I said, it gets very dark and cold. And I knew uh-huh. that it, there was at least <laughs> one time, one time every week or every two weeks that there was some form of socializing that wasn't the freaking library or wasn't me crying yeah. into my yeah. pillow. So like it also mm-hmm. helped because now, you know, I just went back to Knoxville in 2021, right? Because my friends are getting married or um and then we linked up and I'm like oh man this is great it's a small reunion and then I found out other people live in other states and they're like well why don't you come visit me I said girl it gets cold so in the spring summer <laughs> right my Chateau Charest I'll, I'll hit you, you up. up in six months <laughs> I will see you in spring summer um but not now but and then that that's also been very powerful um just from a standpoint that's different than when we talk about higher ed, a lot of people are talking about um, the books or the papers and things like that. And sometimes they downplay the networking, the community, the family that you Mm -hmm. can have. Um, And granted, the experience that I have is different from your experience. And maybe somebody listening will be able to have an in-between, but my only encouragement and, um, goal that I want people to have if they decide to get another degree would be come in with an open mind because you really don't know what could happen you have no idea idea. or even Mm -hmm. like the first year could be really bad it could suck really bad and then somehow something changes and then we get into the second year and it's like oh wait I guess I don't dislike you as much as I did you know I guess I didn't have to have this silent beef with you because now like it's really cool um that actually happened in my cohort and that's, like people were busy yeah, every day I mean that's that's my experience so we talked about the break that I took it happened to coincide with the pandemic so I don't know that it really was the break that I was intending for it to be the the restful break I was intending right. for it to be but it helped me come back with 
a new perspective and not just about the program itself or about, you know, is this the right field for me? Is, you know, this the best next step for me? But what changed or the change I noticed the most was what changed within me. And I don't, this didn't contribute to why I was having a terrible time in my program prior to this, but I think not being open and not being transparent about my ex- my true experience was keeping me from finding the support that ultimately helped me or is helping me have a better experience on this part of the journey. So I just was always really worried, like if I told people I was miserable or if I, you know, was honest about all the microaggressions that I like had to endure, that that was somehow... Um, like invalidate the experience or people wouldn't believe me or I wouldn't, I don't know, I guess it would make me a bad counselor or a bad doctoral student. But in reality, I had so much encouragement from some of my classmates, but also a lot of people online because your girl loves social media. Um, A lot of other graduate students who were like, wow, thank you for being honest about your experience and making it okay to step away to regroup and to come back. Like we don't talk about those decisions with graduate work enough. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I think that was probably another reason why my cohort was so tight is because we, you know, celebrated our highs together, but also we would, Lord, we would go to the same place and have, we literally, we would just sit there and have bingo every Thursday and um dang what's that place called you know what it is it's on the strip it's like the place that all the kids be going to I mean there's it's a, not yeah a but it's not southbound it's something else it's really seedy it reminds me of if you went to Baylor it reminds me of a scruffs equivalent anyway we would go there every Thursday me and my classmates and it could be all of us a few of us whatever I personal mm-hmm. routine we would get six cards like three cards per person fill out this whole like fill up the whole table i y'all was playing bingo literally i ordered <laughs> i ordered two things of like two giant baskets of tater tots every week and i had like sometimes i like wouldn't even i wouldn't even have a bingo card sometimes i wouldn't drink at all sometimes i wouldn't do any of that i would just go there and get mm-hmm. my tater tots and we would my favorite part of the whole experience is that every time somebody got bingo, the rest of the bar just screamed, ooh, like, like that was really <laughs> what we enjoyed the most. It was not the option right. to win because you would win like a t-shirt or one, like, I don't know, whatever really weird name drink that they had. Like it was never anything that was like really yeah. worth it, but the booing, the tater tots <laughs> in the couple mm-hmm. of minutes that we had between trying to figure out what did they say? Huh? What? In between that, we'd be like, yo, this really sucks. We're really tired. <laughs> and it brought yeah. us closer together. And then we were like, okay, we would all leave. And then we would go to sleep. We would wake up and be like, all right, everybody's alive. We'd be like, yep. We'd be like, all right, we'll get it again on Monday. Or we'll get it again mm-hmm. tomorrow or mm-hmm. we'll get it again mm-hmm. on Monday. And that really helps. Um, and so whether you find that in your cohort or, you know, in any other way, I just encourage um Um, all the listeners to just find a sense of community wherever you can. And if that's, you have to volunteer in the city 
and you just are Mm -hmm. in the city and then you just run into people and you slowly create that community then fine and if you can have that in your in your classes then fine also but if you were placed in a city to get a degree I am a firm believer that there's a community there somewhere that is being put in place for you to be a part of it and so you can be emotionally Mm -hmm. successful and that's just that yeah okay Oh, yes. Here's a fun question. Yes, yes. What's something that brings you what's okay. something that brings you joy that you're not obligated to do? Oh, that is a fun question. I'm really into true crime. And is it so, that show with those two guys and they break down the crime? Because I, I listen, just okay, yes, I love only murders in the building oh the show with it's a great show but and all of them that's on hulu right mm-hmm. but i like it is on hulu but i like podcasts more so like i like hearing i had to talk about this recently because someone asked me what was i doing oh i was doing a demonstration in class i teach um as part of my program i have to teach because that's the whole point or one of the points of a doctoral program. And I'm teaching the career counseling class. Um, and I was demonstrating a, a type of interview that you could do with clients. And one of the questions asked, like, what's a, a favorite TV show or whatever, whatever. So I said, well, I don't have just one. I, but in general, I like true crime pro- podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> This is actually funny. I can't believe I still said this. I said, but I don't like it for the murder. I like it for <laughs> the stories, which is true. <laughs> okay, that's not. It really isn't. No, there's. Like, I Do promise not. you, the podcast <laughs> is a judge-free zone. But I have never, I, I never realized that I also like it for the stories until you said it because I was like, why? Mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. it's not like obsessive but like yeah I, I I'm trying I'd to say it's obsessive I'm trying for to me. be nice to myself um but when I think about murders or things like that or like serial killers I really am just sitting there like how in the world do mm-hmm. nobody see this or like like um who is the one that's supposed to be really attractive Jeffrey oh Dunk? I think Dahmer and Bundy, Ted Bundy. Bundy, Mm -hmm. yes, Ted Bundy, because um, Zac Efron played him in that little movie biopic thingy. And I was like, okay, like, okay, if he looked like Zac Efron, then I could completely understand why he would use, like, okay, he used uh, some crutches and then he lured a woman, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, if he's cute like him, I'd probably be like, okay, I think about it. Like, he's not like my top five white man but I think he's like number six like he's right and he you know their serial killers are not like hey I'm gonna murder you like come with me right they're right some of them are charming so it's like oh what is this deal like what is he well how did he get to this point that's what I'm really right about true crime so I was like I've watched this cinematic whatever which did a really great job of not really showing anything mm-hmm. but like gave the story mm-hmm. and I was like baffled with the fact that he lived this completely different life yes like and his girlfriend was like wait a minute like how did this where what in the world so that was right. also baffling for me 
also at the end of that movie if for some reason you do um the one in the murders for the young girl they actually do show the actual picture so if mm-hmm. for some reason you don't want to see that yeah. this is me spoiling it for you don't like at the end when he's talking to his girlfriend and they're doing a the little phone call thing mm-hmm. in jail just dead it just dead, not dead it. Yeah. that's a very bad word in Ooh. this situation but end it stop it right promptly. Mm-hmm. stop it right there <laughs> like don't even wait to the end of the conversation just stop it however i went to google him and i don't care how many people he murdered i don't care how many people that he said hey i murdered these people i'm going to lead you to their grave whatever his redemption story is whatever I don't understand how he lured that many people. Yeah. Because he is not attractive. Mm -hmm. And that is concerning for me. That really is concerning for me because I think his lack of attractiveness and the women that he was attracting Mm -hmm. was based purely off of the fact that they were dealing with something that they should have worked on through counseling. Yep. Full circle. Look at that. Full circle. Full circle. Because there's no way there's do your individual work. So you do not become a victim of a serial killer because there are so many things that me as a self-realized medicated person, as in, because I have a mental illness, not because I'm just, you know, out here medicating myself. Um, there's, I'm a full realized human being, even though I do not judge y'all that choose to go that route. This is a safe space, but I'm not, I don't hear like those experiences. I'm not thinking like this man has crutches. I'm going to help him in the dead of night. Like, yeah, like there's no, and then, because my thought process is this, if he is having a hard time getting in his car because his mobility is a little off. Mm-hmm. Forgive me, Lord, if this is my problem that I need to work on. If you are trying to get back in your car, that means that you got in your car and then got to your destination, <laughs> which means that if it is dark, it is no longer my problem to help you. You have to figure that out on your own. Like you have to have internal motivation. You have to like lean your mm-hmm. body enough on the car to open the car yourself Put one of the crutches inside, hold on to the other, sit your tail down, bring the other across your body and put that back into the passenger seat side yeah. and take you and whatever you're dealing with back to your home. I am not doing that. Okay, but so I'm going to offer context. Look, I don't here know. we go. Now this, because, now this is becoming a slight murderers come on let's go ahead and talk it about is it. I don't... so so context so you're correct bundy to me is not attractive not a, not enough for me to to go with him do all the things that he convinced other people to do but i'm thinking about that and i'm you know con- like my lens is after thousands of hours of true crime podcasts so yes Teenage Kurtisha, before she started this <laughs> foray into true crime, mm-hmm. probably could have been taken for the guy who has crutches and needs help getting his car because that's how I was raised. You help people, even like 
I hate to say it, even if it was nighttime, I think your girl would have did it. I would have been like, well, I could help him real quick. And just, oh, I would have done gosh. it. And, but that's a, oh that's a thing. Gosh. We know it. We're like, we know what he did. But if it was a random guy on the, I think I would have done it. So it's because of that I can have some compassion no, for no, people. No, 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 no. Oh my gosh. Definitely for the victims, but also for yes, people always. who just get bamboozled in a lot of different ways. I come from and a place is... of experiencing things that I probably shouldn't have experienced because I just was naive and didn't know. And so I can offer compassion and understanding to the people I work with, to my friends, to family, because I don't been there. Sometimes we just, we all going to be there at some point. That's all I'm and saying. I think that's very beautiful. Um, but I have noticed a lot of my perspectives and thought processes, <laughs> not because they're unhealthy, but a lot of them have, they're involved in so much like practicality, like mm-hmm. logistic, like for so long, I can't even imagine my teenage self, my freshman in college self mm-hmm. being like, you know what, this man needs help at night. Mm-hmm. My thought process is, and has always been anybody that knew me in undergrad they actually nicknamed I got a whole nickname the first three weeks and it was called G mama why because I was an old lady uh-huh. and I remember <laughs> first weekend first weekend in college I said this is a lot of like interacting I'm an introvert everybody else is going to this party this is a perfect opportunity for me to take a shower put my headscarf on yeah go get my nice little night shirt with my little penguin slippers I'm going to sleep <laughs> everybody is like oh we're gonna go blah blah blah. he's this guy's gonna pick us up we only talked to him on like the new black bailard uh group message blah blah blah, yada yada yada. this is gonna be so fun i said okay and then i walked out with him took a picture of his license plate (laughs) and said you guys go and have fun and everybody in the person driving was like did you really take a picture of my drive my license plate and i said if they don't come back Mm -hmm. then i know where to start And that could have been my very old, young exposure to Lifetime Movie Network. Mm -hmm. However, I just think that I am a very practical person. I would would agree with that. And it clicked for me very early on because I didn't really gain weight a lot. Like I've never hit more than like, like I was very small until I graduated from high school, Mm -hmm. which was, I was a whopping 98 to 108 pounds and I was working in the sports medicine program as a high school student which means I was hyper aware that people were abnormally large like they were they were larger than me and I remember when I was in elementary school this boy picked me up turned me around 180 and dropped me on my head the next day I got my revenge by pulling up to him with a wooden block and just smashing him in the head with it. And then yeah. my dad worked on campus. So then I had to go sit under his desk. Yeah. but he kind of earned that though. This, I, had, I had like very early knowledge that I was very small, even with my limbs being long, I was very small. Mm-hmm. So I openly said, I am abductable weight. I am the you perfect are. way you are. Yeah. to be abducted. And I knew that very early on. And so I said, I'm never going to put myself in a position or I'm going to try to decrease 
situations that would put me in a spot where I could be easily abducted. And I think that brought on to my, I think that brought on to the logistic part because I will walk into a space, even though I am way past the 108. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like I walk into spaces even now and I'll be like, let me look at all these exes just in case something pops off because you know people are weird that's so good yeah so I I've been five nine since sixth grade so I don't often think about physical danger to myself because I'm tend to be intimidating to other people just yeah, for because you're so tall yeah, like nobody's gonna yeah. try to surprise you no so that's probably why you'd be so friendly for me I'm like mm-hmm. this man look like he does it like I would have been the one like hey we in the car and you're like you really going with so one time this is story time now one time in college my freshman year this was a girl I had met on like my dorm floor and we have been friends for a few weeks. So it's not a new friendship, but it is a new friendship, but in college time, but it's not a new in friendship. In college years, yeah. a couple of weeks, it's like, it's like friends for best years. friends forever. Her roommate <laughs> called, like we, her, the friend and I were up studying. Uh, we both had a chemistry exam. And so her roommate calls her and is like, Hey, I need a ride. So the, her friend, the roommate has a, like my friend, I'm gonna use names. Simone had a car, like which was not mm-hmm. a thing as a freshman. No. And so, like, hot commodity. She was fancy. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, "Sure, I'll come pick you up." So this is three. At this point, it's three a.m. Maybe in the morning. We go grab the roommate, and the roommate's like, "Oh, I need to go to my boyfriend's apartment because I think he's cheating." We proceeded to essentially be the dry, like the getaway car. Because the roommate gets to the to the boyfriend's apartment, gets out, looks in his windows, confirms that he is indeed cheating, comes back and slices every single one of his tires and runs back to our car and is like, go, go, go. And I left studying for my chemistry exam, having a pretty good idea that this wasn't going to end well because she sounded upset when she called. But I went anyways. So that's what we're dealing with here. So now, fast forward, now that I've <laughs> listened and watched and read about all the true crime, I'm a renewed Kurtisha. And I think differently. But I did that not. Is this so was not always funny. the case. Mm-hmm. So if I was in that situation, I probably would have been sleep. Yeah. Because we all know that I will sleep anywhere and mm-hmm. everywhere, mm-hmm. unashamedly. I will be in a group. I would, if, I, if I feel like my life isn't in immediate danger, I will absolutely go to sleep because it's my coping mechanism. I can imagine <laughs> myself being in that same position, watching her have this realization and leaning over against the door and be like, y'all wake me up whenever y'all, <laughs> when y'all get done with this. I'm at least going to go to sleep because I'm going back to study, but I'm at least going to take a nap yes. while she goes and wows out because I don't want to be an accessory to anything. I don't want to see anything. Uh-huh. I want to be involved in anything. When I tell the truth, I want to be able to tell the truth and not have a guilty conscience. I am I going was asleep. to sleep. Mm-hmm. I was asleep. I don't know what was happening then. I was asleep, girl. I was asleep. And I was asleep, but I was asleep in the front seat of the car. That is... <laughs> crazy I just I love that okay Mm -hmm. we got a little bit of college talk we got a little bit of PhD talk so on and so forth but look 
the podcast is called the Blank Project Podcast because it's an opportunity to fill in the blank with whatever we want or need and wherever we are in life. So if you could fill in a blank space for yourself um, right now, what would you fill it up with? Mm. What would I fill it up with? Honestly, some physical touch. I have not had a hug in a very long time, actually. You know, like we still we still in the panorama. Oh, yes. It's the Panasonic the pandemonium is crazy. Is out here is real, and I am not. We think about love languages. I'm on the fence about them, but physical touch is not is not a high one for me. And so this is funny that that would be right. what came to mind, but I realized during COVID or at the beginning of COVID, how even like I live by myself and my family is not nearby. I'm unpartnered. There's like not a lot of opportunities for me to like have physical touch with people. And as humans, we need that. And yeah, I'm like you are human and it's okay that right. you need that. So I'm not ashamed to say that I would like a hug. So hopefully I can find that and get that. Yeah. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. That's personal development. That's growth. Because you're well aware for that. that I'm not a physical touch person. Mm-hmm. I am well aware. So is there some way <laughs> that I could help support you in having that physical touch aside from flying? Yeah. It, this is it, flying to Knoxville because <laughs> I this this has been a request for a lot of people. I'm just like very expensive. Do you know how expensive yes, it is to yeah. fly to that very small airport? The airport is literally like not even the whole size of the NRG stadium like you can you can run from one end to the the airport five minutes before my flight was taking off and still made it Mm -hmm. and still made it still made it absolutely and that's part of the reasons why yes I (laughs) accidentally be missing my flight when I fly in it's because I know that it's going to take me maybe a minute half a minute especially because I be Mm -hmm. I am pre-prepared I have everything pulled out my shoes are already off blah blah blah, yada 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 Knoxville TSA they don't care I mean they care obviously but it's like "Mm, let's go like let's get us out of here (laughs) All of the terminals nope. are like lined up. You don't same have to level. Up an Everything's on ground It's just like left to right, <laughs> same level. Everything is one. Like I didn't even. The way it's set up, it never even clicked for me that there were two yep. levels because it's so small. I'm like, wait, this is mm-hmm. this is the first. There's a bottom. This is the bottom. There's a there's a bottom to it. It never clicks. Real small. Never clicks every time. But is there anything else I could do for you besides <laughs> honestly, just the fact that I had to answer that question <laughs> is prompting me to find a friend and be like, give me a hug. So thank you for making me reflect on what I need right now and giving me the courage to ask for it. So you can also fly to Knoxville. So thanks. <laughs> You know what? I have exceeded my travel plans for yeah the, uh, for the this time. Um, I'm thinking, mm, of course, when it's warmer. <laughs> so definitely, like yeah, mm. not anytime soon. Maybe you know what? Actually, 
even if it was the fall, if it was like that September, early October, that sweet spot, like that time, like that one week right before they like <laughs> right. close We're down done. the Smoky yeah. Mountains, because they'd be like, it's not safe for you You're to be done. up here anymore. Well, like, uh, thank you for don't coming. Come back but... up here. Like, just thank you. I think it's usually mm-hmm. typically it's like that third week in October. <laughs> I would come the third week in October, do a quick hike um you know have a little some vibe, fall mm-hmm. little, little shindig because you know I love hiking give me some fall because yeah. we don't be having that look at all the colors of the trees because I didn't know that existed and that's what I would do yeah but anything, I woke up to frost just, this no. morning so <laughs> you probably don't want to come anytime soon yeah mm-hmm. hate to see it so if there's anything from this yes. episode you need to know that there's always a community there for you um that you should um, your college experience, mm-hmm. no matter what degree you're obtaining, don't take it for granted. Go with ease. Um, if you're not too squeamish, always, you know, have a yes. little bit of a murder mystery in there, you know, for the razzle dazzle. But most Mm-mm. importantly, don't move to Iowa if you get really cold because your That's breath, it. kicking or not, That's it. will freeze. Nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's the most beautiful recap we could ever have. Before we get too excited and leave, um, is there any way that people can reach out to you, whether it's they're pursuing their PhD in counseling, they just think that you're super cool and want to have you in their networking, so on and so forth? Yeah, so I am on Twitter at Kertisha Riley. That's K-E-R-T-E-S-H-A-R-I-L-E-Y, one word. And then Instagram, which you'll get a little more than you would get on Twitter. And that is at who is K Riley. So follow me. So I good. love chatting it up with new people. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for joining the Blank Project podcast. I love you. I appreciate you. And I am constantly inspired by you. Um, have Thanks. a great day. Oh. Oh.